Welcome in to Locked On Knicks and a heartbreaker in the second game of a back-to-back. The Knicks lose 112 to 110 to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And Gavin, this game had frustration written all over it. What are we getting into in this episode? Well, uh, you're going to talk about some issues with the officiating. I'm going to get into some issues with the Knicks' fourth quarter execution, a lackluster first half, and we'll also get into some of the highs. Evan Fournier hot, Kemba Walker hitting some big threes, Julius Randle having some moments in his own right. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. Here he comes right now. Starks with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Locked on Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. And we want to also thank you guys for making Locked on Knicks your first listen every day. Uh, we're available on all your favorite podcast platforms. We're, of course, also available now on YouTube. If you want to go there, check out the channel, maybe drop us a subscription, a couple likes on some videos. That would be super appreciated. Today, you can see how Gavin and I accidentally wore the same shirt because we both decided to wear our Locked On t-shirts today. That, of course, brings me to introductions. I'm Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of Nick's like the Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster who just finished calling some future Kentucky-bound Knicks uh, up at the Basketball Hall of Fame for a week. Uh, but we are now... Getting into another Knicks loss, back-to-back. Never enjoy losing both games with a back-to-back, but uh, the Knicks come out on the bottom of this game, 112-110 to to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Gavin, I got some stuff to say about the officiating, but uh, for fear of talking for too long in a row, I will throw it to you to open things up. Uh, what, what stood out to you in this game? What sort of issues do you want to talk about? Because there was certainly plenty of them, which we're going to get into as the show goes on here. Yeah, I mean, to start off, I mean, just the Knicks' lack of ability to play a full basketball game. And I feel like, I mean, maybe maybe Knicks fans don't miss this, but I feel like people in general miss this. Like, the first half matters just as much as the second half, right? Like, the third quarter w- was incredible, but it's basically what they had to do to cancel out a first half where they were just out of it for the most part. I mean, and RJ in particular, and 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 I, I almost don't even, I, I want to pinpoint RJ, but I almost don't want to pinpoint RJ because it felt like everyone had turnover-itis in that first quarter. And again, like Tibbs always harps on the fact that this team just isn't good enough to not play extremely hard every second of every game. And I'm conflicted on if they weren't playing hard or if it was just Minnesota's playing good defense or if they were indecisive, but it all added up to a, a first half that was extremely sloppy. I think the Knicks were lucky to only be down by 10 at halftime. I thought the bench has just, I, I mean, the last 
couple of games. Like there, there have certainly been moments like, like last game, they, they played some of the Knicks best basketball, um, but they've lost some of their verve in general. And it feels like at this point, they just desperately need Derek Rose back and they need that extra insertion of creation. And then in the fourth quarter, it again felt like the Knicks desperately needed Derek Rose as there, there were moments where, where Evan Fournier was doing just enough. Kemba Walker hit the big three threes to start the fourth quarter. But then down the stretch of this game, the Knicks just had no coherent plan offensively. And I mean, the possession in general that really frustrated me was the one where R.J. Barrett threw it right to Anthony Edwards. And it's been my frustration with R.J. Um, I mean, going back to his rookie year, obviously less so during this recent hot stretch, but just not making quick decisions. And it, I feel like it's a microcosm for this Knicks team in general where they get bogged down. And all it is is like a lack of decisiveness and a lack of cohesiveness. And I, I feel I feel bad saying that again because I feel like I talk about those things every single episode. But that, that was just screaming to me in my head oh, down the stretch of this game. And particularly that final Evan Fournier drive. Like I thought there was an opportunity there. It, like it's like for Julius Randle, he got a switch and I can't, it was, it was whoever the point guard was in for Minnesota, maybe Patrick Beverly. And I thought Fournier could have just thrown it back to him or Randle could have dove to the rim. And you're either getting a wide open layup for Randle or you're getting a kick out to either of the shooters. And Randle didn't dive. And I was asking people that on Twitter and like a lot of different people made the point, like, well, he kind of knew Fournier wasn't going to throw the pass. And I was in my mind, I was like, yeah, they're right. Like Fournier wasn't going to throw that pass. Even if Randle dove to the rim, the Knicks obviously end up getting that final shot from Burks, but I almost feel like, and Alex, you're going to get into the officiating. I don't feel like the Knicks deserve to win this game, which is why I'm not coming on and like ranting and raving about the officials because like they had their opportunities to do enough both in the first half and down the stretch in the fourth quarter and, and they didn't do it. And it's a shame because they played spectacularly well in the third. And I, I thought Evan Fournier had one of his best games of the season. I thought Kemba Walker did everything he possibly could coming off that injury. And it just wasn't enough because of those mistakes. Yeah, I'm in agreement. Like, make no mistake, I'm going to rant about the officials in a minute, but you know, they definitely needed to play better. You know, that that's point blank period. That's that's the story of the Knicks season so far. It's just basketball games are 48 minutes long and they often treat them as if they think that they're only played in, you know, 24 minutes, you know, because they'll they'll either have a first half that's fantastic, followed by a second half where they just completely blow it and let the other team in and let them win the game, or they'll do the reverse and they'll, you know, do like today and have just a terrible first half where I felt like they should have been down by about 30. You know, maybe if Minnesota had made a few more shots, they would have been. And, you know, and and then followed up with a really, really great third quarter. And honestly, up until the, the last little bit, I thought a good enough fourth quarter, certainly. You know, they hung in there. They were they were making shots. You know, as you said, Kemba, Fournier, you know, they're making some tough looks. But late game execution, you know, it's like you can't have these key turnovers. And, you know, it's... It, that's one of those things with RJ where like you could, you could say, yeah, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, you know, still 22 years old. I, I believe he's 22 now, or maybe he's still 21. I don't know, but you know, either way, he's very young, you know, he's in his third year in the league. So the mistakes are still going to be there, but after how well he'd been playing recently, you sort of start itching for a world where you could start holding him to higher standards than, you know, writing off a game like this to just like, well, youth, you know, it's it, you do want him to start making quicker decisions and and, you know, looking for uh, better passes and things like that. And in this game, it was just it was a mess from him. You know, he was uh, he just could not make a good read in this game. And credit to the Timberwolves. I mean, I thought they actually played really great defense. Um, they were swarming the whole game. You know, they were just 
it was I saw some shades of them almost like trying to trying to ice a, a good amount in this game where they were just kind of like every time the Knicks would go to set up a pick and roll, they would just be like trap that guy against the the you know base or the sideline rather and try to make him you know have to bring it all the way back out to reset it. They did that to Fournier like six times and they did it to Burks once or twice. You know, it was just it was a very common theme um, when the Knicks decided they were just going to kind of like spam pick and roll for a while. But, you know, it's yeah, they, they needed to play so much better in the first half. They really needed to close better. They need to make their free throws. I mean, like, come on, you know, Julius Randle for like the umpteenth time finds himself in, in a, you know, a situation where he has two free throws to tie the game late. And misses the first one. And you Wait, just... can I can I just throw out? You, you knew he was going to miss one of those two, right? I oh, was so certain when he was going to lie. I was like, "There's." I, I said to my roommate, "I was like, there's no way he makes both of these." Oh yeah, absolutely. I figured it was going to be the first one. To be honest, yeah. you know, like I just, I you could see it. You could just see it. You know, he he does his his free throw routine and does the you know squares up, takes the deep breath, and like I don't know. I just saw it. I, the first one I just knew wasn't going in. The second that he even started his his free throw routine, I was just like, "This this just isn't it." You know, this isn't this isn't what needed to happen here. What needed to happen was the was the look to the corner, you know, that he was trying to generate. But I don't even think Randall himself wanted those free throws uh, at the very end of the game there because it's just not his strength. It reminds me a lot of like like and, and you know this is lofty, but you know like early career LeBron dealt with that a lot where you know late game free throws were kind of his undoing. And Randall, you know, in, in this sort of second year of his emergence as a, you know, the number one option for this team, at least maybe not an ideal number one option overall, sort of has that same thing where he can be fantastic. I thought he was actually really, by and large, other than, you know, a little bit of shaky play in the first half, I thought he was by and large pretty damn good in this game, particularly in the second half, and just wound up kind of squandering it by missing those two free throws late. Or sorry, missing the one of two free throws late, which then put the Knicks in a difficult situation. Um, but yeah, I, I I'll hold the the officiating thing for just a sec because I want to kind of rant about it. But uh, real quick, do you want to let everybody know about Prize Picks for our first break, so then I can go on this officials rant? I'd, I'd love to, Alex. Um, Knicks fans, you've been hearing me tell you about Prize Picks for months. Have you signed up yet? If you haven't, now's the perfect time for a limited time. Prize Picks has an exclusive no brainer of an offer for all of our users for limited. Uh, users get $50 for free if a player in your first prize picks entry scores a single point. But you must use code MBA. That's right. This is an exclusive offer available to Locked On fans only who use code MBA. Prize picks has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market. Prize picks offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as bench players only recording a handful of minutes each game. Prize picks offers any prop you can think of from points, assists, rebounds, threes made, etc. You pick two to five players and over under for their projections so you can win up to 10 times on any entry and it's just you versus the projected numbers. I recently placed a flex play with an over on Julius Randle points and an under on D'Angelo Russell points and doubled my money. It took me all of 30 seconds to make my selections. It's that easy, folks. Prize Picks offers mixed sports entries, so you could take the over on uh, R.J. Barrett turnovers and the 
under on Aaron Rodgers interceptions. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. You could also have taken the under on Aaron Rodgers vaccinations. Go to prizepix.com today or go to your App Store and download the app. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 free if your first PrizePix entry scores a single point. That's right. All users that deposit and use our promo code MBA will get $50 free if your first PrizePix entry scores a single point. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. Alex, I'm not going to deprive you any longer. Go in. <laughs> yeah, all right. So the officiating in this game, look, like, you know, I already said my piece. I think the Knicks should have played better in this game, period. You know, that that's indisputable. And I'm usually the type to say, like, you shouldn't – if you have to blame the game on the officiating, you probably shouldn't have won the game. And that was probably the case in this game. But – you know, this is like one of my like three or four times a year where I just say, you know what, though, like this, it, it really, really rubbed me the wrong way. Like I despised the officiating in this game. There was no rhyme or reason to how they were calling things. They would go from ticky tack to letting guys get mugged. And this was uh, to some degree on both sides. I, I noticed it the most and I think it was being called the most on the Knicks, you know, the, the sort of ticky tack stuff. But in general, just terrible job of of setting up you know pace in this game like i was talking to someone in the strickland discord and they were like just in general like do you hate umps or nba refs more and i was like you know what honestly i think nba refs because at least umpires even if they all have their own strike zones at least you know what you're getting into by and large like oh this guy is a big strike zone this guy has a small strike zone whatever like this guy's more likely to let you get something on the inside of the plate than the other guy in the NBA, there's no rhyme or reason. And this year it's been so much worse because they're they're trying to like put in these rules to let players play through it more. And yet the refs just can't seem to like separate last year's brain from this year's brain. And there were so many different times late in this game where they just like screwed the Knicks over. And you know, I hate to say it like it's just the Knicks, but it, it's just, you know, there are these calls that it won't get called if, say, Julius Randle is going up for it but we'll get called if Carl Anthony Towns is going up for it. And so there was like, for example, one of the key plays of the game was a three point play by cat uh, late in the game. He goes up. There's like extremely minor contact between he and Julius Randall, but by and large, like that's a call that it, for one thing, he made the shot. So Randall went up with him pretty much went for it. Clean did not go for a block or anything. Just tried to get a hand up and disturb the shot. Didn't disturb it. Cat makes it. And they call a foul on Randall. And you watch the replay and you're like, okay, I mean, I guess there was like a small amount of contact there. But throughout most of the rest of the game, or at least late, you know, in the late stages of the game, they were not calling that. And so guys have to know what they're allowed to get away with because the refereeing in the NBA is probably the most subjective of almost any sport where they're just kind of like, there's always this sort of balance of, all right, what kind of game are we going to be allowed to play today? And they didn't stick to it. And, you know, there's another one. It it just, after such a high amount of just ticky-tack crap that got called down the stretch of this game, you know, the Timberwolves inbound the ball late. R.J. Barrett gets in a situation where he strips the ball, but it's kind of up in the air. It's up for grabs. And D'Angelo Russell, like, I mean, Gavin, you said you thought when we were talking pre-show that you thought that he kind of like kicked out at RJ a little bit and kind of hit his ankle. I 
saw, I mean, he like put his shoulder down and like put his shoulder into RJ and RJ gets like shoved back and falls on his butt. And Delo's able to go grab the rebound, which then gives the Timberwolves back possession at a key juncture where the Knicks like really needed possession right there. I mean, that was crap. There was down the stretch, you know, the, the situation it led to Randall even getting the free throws. Randall, you know, had an idea from most of the game of like what is going to get called on me and what is not and went for something that I think that he thought he was not going to get a call for and, you know, drove down, you know, all the way into the teeth of the defense and then makes a nice wraparound pass on the baseline to find Alec Burks in the corner for an in rhythm three. The whistle gets blown on Randall throwing it out there, but Burks still in rhythm takes the three and it goes in and you think, wow, if they could have just, I mean, you almost don't want the foul call in that case. You're just like, Randall probably didn't think he was going to get a foul called on him there. And instead you guys decided, oh, now's the moment where we're going to call this. And so now we're going to put you at the free throw line instead of giving you the look that you generated for your teammate. It's just, it's so frustrating to me to, to see these sort of, oh, and I didn't even get into, I mean, Mitchell Robinson and Taj Gibson were both in foul trouble. And look, they both made some boneheaded plays to get to that point and they both wound up fouling out but like mitch his final foul he he, to his credit like taj taj had five fouls tips pulls him puts mitch back in with five fouls with about i don't know like eight minutes left in the in the fourth quarter and mitch was really i think finally doing a good job of being like you know what i'm not going to make anything that could even be construed as a foul he gets a one-on-one switch with uh, Jalen Noel on the on the Wolves, and Noel takes him to the basket. Mitch, I thought, played the defense like picture perfect on that play. He backpedaled. He j- he made sure not to swipe at him. He kept his arms completely out of Noel's zone and just basically put both hands up while essentially falling backwards almost by you know just backpedaling and avoided. I thought he did not generate a single bit of contact there. And he also did not do anything that was like a blatant block that was getting in the way of Noel's progress because he was side shuffling with him to keep up with him. And he gets called for a foul there. And that's foul six. That means Taj Gibson comes back in. He gets foul six like minutes later. And then the Knicks wind up having to go with this like, and this is a whole other thing that we'll probably talk about in the next segment, but this weird like small lineup where Julius was the five and you put in Alec Burks instead of Obi Toppin as your like other big, I guess. I don't know. It was, it was Burks, Kemba, RJ and Fournier along with Julius Randall. It was just a very bizarre lineup that I would be surprised if that lineup has played one minute together this year prior to that moment. Uh, so just, just a terrible officiating game. Gavin, I'll throw it to you. I mean, I, I, I don't know how much more you have to say on that, but, this was one of the first games this year where I really just sat down like like as I'm watching the game, it was just like this is horrendous and the refs I think have actively cost the Knicks this game down the stretch. Even though the Knicks, yes, they could have executed better on some plays. They could have, you know, played better earlier in the game, but by and large, their defensive execution was great in the second half and they kept getting punished for it rather than rewarded. And that was extremely frustrating to me. And I think it really kind of threw a wrench in morale for the Knicks too in this game. Yeah, I think I, I don't, I don't really have anything to add on the officiating, but I mean, to your point, I thought that was a, 
fascinating decision from Tibbs. And I kind of get what he was going for. Like, I almost assumed he was going to put Jericho Sims in because I'm like, all right, well, you, you got to have the rim protection. Um, but instead he goes with Burks. And I think the idea was we've had so much offensive stagnancy down the stretch of these games. Let me let me do something that people aren't expecting and let me go offense first and just get as much ball handling and shooting and creativity on the floor as possible. Um, I'd argue if that was your goal, maybe the move would have been to put quickly in. I, I think Tibbs's counterpoint would have been like, all right, but you're just too small at that point. Like, are you putting like quickly or Kemba and Edwards? Like that that doesn't work out really well. Um, so I I kind of I kind of understand the rationale for not going that. But Burks was just having a terrible game. So I, I and and I know he's been so reliable for the Knicks this year. And again, if he hits that three pointer, like we're we're having a completely different conversation. We're saying, well, Alex Bur- Alex Burks, he, he's he's the hero down the stretch. Um, so with all those qualifiers, I think you got to put Obi Toppin in there because we've seen all year. I mean, what is his greatest skill? It's it's that verb. It's that energy. He, he is an injection of life um, in any lineup that he's in. At least when he's operating it full capacity. And we saw last game he was this game in limited minutes. I I don't think he played great, but it, at least like he had that energy back. And I think the Knicks could have used that movement because I talked about the RJ throwaway possession. We didn't even really get into like the possession where D'Lo poked it away from RJ. And on that possession, it was just like, there was no like penetration. There was no action. It was just sort of like swing, swing. Like the Wolves did a pretty good job, like switching screens and staying with the Knicks. But there was no real activity. And I think having Obi in there, and we've seen him and Julius make magic with one guy back cutting and the other guy playing off of him. Like, I would have just wanted to have seen that down the stretch. And I think defensively, like, I get, I guess that Burks is better in certain matchups. But with the Timberwolves, I'm pretty sure the Timberwolves, and maybe, maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I'm pretty sure they still have Jared Vanderbilt out there. I'm fine having Obi in there on another big. I'm fine having Obi in there as another rebounder. Um, someone maybe to help on, on Towns on that kind of drive. I don't know if it would have made the difference, but I think they just, they needed that energy. And if Burks was having an amazing game, I would have understood it, but he was having probably his worst game of the year. So I I thought that was probably a pretty poor decision. Um, Alex, I'm going to let you respond. Um, But first, um, maybe, maybe Tibbs just, just didn't get a snack at halftime. Was there, is there something that could have given Tibbs the energy to put the right guy in there? Well, as you say, you mentioned the Knicks needed energy. Maybe everybody should have been feasting on some built bars. Maybe they did in at halftime considering the uh, the amount of energy they came out with in the third quarter there. But it's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which can be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so boring. By week three, you might be thinking, like, this just isn't worth it, man. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, so you can always get some chocolate in your life. And they only contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, along with a whopping 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. And the, the answer is pretty obvious. You should be eating some Built Bars. Even if you're not a huge fan of working out, you can at least eat something that tastes good and is good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Built Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And there's so many great flavors to choose from. There's coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and so many more. In fact, Built is always coming out with new limited time flavors. So check out Built.com often to see what's new. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you will get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. 
So yeah, Gavin, uh, to to rebut what you sort of ended the the last segment with, and then I'll I'll throw it back to you quickly because I feel like I talked for like that whole last segment. Um, but I I agree. I I do think that it was just bizarre to go with Burks in that scenario. I think Burks is just the last few games just really has seemed like, I mean, that uh, you know make that wasn't that he had off of Randall aside. You know, he's just, he looks like he has no legs lately. And I don't know what's going on, but he, it seems like he's not getting, you know, as much into his jump shot. Pretty much everything is coming up short right now. Maybe it's just a rhythm, rhythm thing. Maybe it's just a slump, but, you know, he's generally a pretty accurate shooter and things tend to more or less hit the same spot every time. You know what I mean? And he has just not been, it, it doesn't even look like off his hand, like the balls are going to go into the hoop lately. You could just tell that they're going to be short by about three, four inches and end up on the front end of the rim. And, you know, so I, I don't know what the deal is, but he is not the guy that I would have been prioritizing putting back in. Obi, you know, maybe he didn't have his greatest game ever, but he certainly had a good game last game. You know, he's he was getting chance from the crowd when Taj fouled out. Like the, the crowd was acutely aware of the fact like, Oh, it's time for Obi. Let's get ready and start chanting Obi, Obi. And then it, it, Tosh even had to like comfort him when he came to the bench because Obi started looking down the line like, oh, his tip's going to call for me. And then he calls for Alec Burks. And, uh, you know, Tosh comes and sits next to him and like, gives him a quick shoulder rub real quick. Like, it's all good, man. Like, you're fine. Um, but, you know, it's it, it would have made so much more sense from, from a stylistic perspective. Like you said, you know, the... Julius did an okay job on Cat, I think, by and large. You know, that final foul call notwithstanding. So that was a fine decision. But, you know, also, I, I'm i with you. Like, I'm, I'm not too afraid of Jared Vanderbilt, you know, being guarded by Obi. I don't think that's going to cause any issues. I don't think that Vanderbilt is that much better of a rebounder or, you know, uh, of a box outer uh, that that's going to be an issue. And so I, I don't really see what the issue was with, you know, putting Obi in in that scenario, especially like, I, I just don't understand, you know, Tibbs seems to remember every little thing, but can't remember that the Knicks have been brought back from the dead in like at least five different games this year by running out Obi and Randall. And he just never goes to it. Never thinks of that as like, Oh, this is a fun wrinkle to throw at the end of the game. Let's really throw these guys off and put this, you know, fast combo out there with Obi who always loves to leak out for the transition pass and Julius, who's good at throwing it. I just I, I don't understand it. So it was a bizarre decision to me too. I think that it, it would have been a lot better to go with uh to go with Obi there than Burks. And I, I think just a little less Burks in our lives for the next like couple games might not be a bad idea because I don't know if he's nursing an injury or something, but he just doesn't look right to me these last few games. Yeah, I think it's just pretty obvious Tibbs doesn't trust Obi on defense. And we always talk about that in, in a rim protection contest I, context. I think it might be more in an overall context and he's just like I because I think I think he just values reliability overall else. And like, he knows that Burks is like, even on a night when he's not playing well, like he's going to be in the right spots on defense. He's going to be in the right spots on offense um, and make or miss. Like he will, he will be doing the right thing. And maybe, maybe he just doesn't have that quite that faith in OB topping it right or wrong. Um, but I wanted, before we wrap up, I mean, we, we, we've given a lot of negatives so far. There were some real positives in this game and particularly the play of the, of, of the, the former uh, star-studded acquisition summer backcourt, Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier. I mean, I thought Kemba, like I, like when I, when I went and looked at the box score post game, I was 
kind of surprised that he almost had 19 points. Like it almost, it almost felt like a 25 point game at points, but he was, he was awesome. Like got going right from the get go. Like his first shot of the game was an elbow jumper that he made. I thought he had some good moments defensively in this game. And, and this might've been a little adjustment from Tibbs, but I really love this. Like the wolves tried to get on Anthony Edwards in a pick and roll. And instead of just accepting the switch, Kemba like sprinted out hard on Edwards and showed, and then just kind of ran back to his man and switched back with RJ. And, and that was, and, and, and the Knicks like need more and more of that. And, and like, if they do that all the time, like I think teams will kind of catch on and like, maybe they'll have their point guard, like kind of roll to the rim or back cut and that could cause issues for New York. But I thought for the moment, it was sort of a good tactic to avoid getting Kemba in the switch situation, which is sort of the reason why Tibbs benched him in the first place. And, and then just, um, just like the passing for Kemba, like getting all the way to the rim, like like a really nice dump off to Taj Gibson for a foul, had like another Kobe assist where he missed the layup, but got Taj an open layup. And then in the second half, obviously like like just draining from three, like hitting a 30-footer, um, that was just nasty to make it 104-100. And then a right wing three, like it, it was nine points and maybe four minutes for him. Um, it, and it was the, it was what we were talking about on the show yesterday when the Hornets went zone and the Knicks just didn't have an answer to it. Tonight, the T-Wolves went zone and Kemba's like, all right, I'm just going to start like raining threes on you. And, and, and similar stuff from Fournier, who showed off a lot of versatility in the first half. He was getting to the rim. Um, he actually played pretty well defensively. Like he had this fantastically smart double on Carl Anthony Towns with the shot clock up with the shot clock expiring. And then got a strip. And then the chemistry between him and Randall, um, where like um, Randall gave him like that little like dribble handoff toss back. <coughs> Excuse me for the left wing three. Um, I'm, I'm so used to criticizing Evan Fournier this year. I'm choking on my exuberance for him now. Um, but I thought, I thought just pretty much a perfect game for Fournier offensively. 27 points on 17 shots, five of 10 from three. You just you can't ask for much more from him, right? This is what we were hoping for this entire year. And I just I thought both of those guys like couldn't have been much better. And if you're looking for a reason why this was just a game that the Knicks couldn't afford to lose and why you and I are so frustrated, like whether it's the officials or whether it's RJ, like it's been so rare that both of those guys play this well in the same game. And and for the Knicks to not beat a team in Minnesota that's that's solid but not amazing when those two play that well, that that's that's like the heartbreaking part and the part that's like hard to recover from, I think. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota had been playing somewhat decent coming into this game. Like they had won four out of five, and the loss was their last game against the Lakers, where they made it tight. But like the Lakers haven't been great this year, and the four wins were against like absolute dumpster fire teams. Like it was like two against OKC, one against Houston, one against Detroit. I think so. Like the 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 Wolves are not, you know, they they might have had the same record as the Knicks, but like in theory, the Knicks should be able to beat them. And granted, the Knicks have come out by the skin of their teeth against some of those very same teams and or lost to them. Uh, so maybe, maybe we're just overrating the Knicks at this point, but um, yeah, it's, it is frustrating. And, and, you know, Fournier too, it was, it, it was really disappointing to see this effort go to waste because I thought that not only on offense was he fantastic in the second half, but he was generating like really key steals during that big third quarter run. He was, Doing, I think, the best possible stuff that he can do on defense, which is, you know, he was avoiding bad matchups for him, you know, in one-on-one situations where he might get toasted in that way and was sort of nipping those in the bud by, you know, helping very quickly getting over to guys and going for strips and doubles and, you know, forcing guys into uncomfortable situations. Probably the the best one was his, uh, he had a strip of cat where he just sort of like, works his way over and just, you know, pause at the ball real quick, 
manages to get it away and, and generates a turnover for the Knicks. That was at a really key juncture. I think that might have been when they were still tied or maybe down by two. It, I just remember like it was at like the moment that they needed it, where they needed to like fully grab the momentum and like finish this comeback and you know get in the lead in the third quarter. So then they could hopefully try to win it in the fourth quarter, which obviously they didn't. But you know, just a really key uh, move for him there. He also had a like a block slash strip on the inside on that one. I totally forget who it was on, but it, you know, it had a really good help play in that scenario too, where he just kind of got over there and then made a quick little strip on the inside um, or a block, whatever you want to call it. But either way, great defensive play. I mean, I just thought that he had a really really, really, really good second half on that end of the ball and was taking all the right risks, which is kind of like what has to be his calling card because he's not the best like one-on-one defender. Um, and he's, you know, he kind of needs to just embrace those those little moments where he can sort of make himself useful, sort of like what Kemba does to a degree, although he, I think he's still a better one-on-one defender than Kemba. But those two are both kind of at their best when they're just trying to create events, you know, so make up for the fact that you might get toasted once or twice by making a transition opportunity here uh, or getting a steal that, you know, wouldn't have come otherwise if you didn't, you know, sneak in there to, to get the ball away from that guy. Um, but anyway, Gavin, uh, I, I struggle to find something else good to talk should, about. Well, should, we, should we mention Julius Randall quickly? Because I, I, I thought guess, he had a pretty yeah. good game overall. Yeah, I thought he did too, actually. You know, it's, it's unfair to boil his game down to just what happened at the end of the game. Cause I thought that he was kind of, you know, he had some of his issues in the first half with looking a little listless on defense, but I thought he did a good job of knowing when to take this game over and doing so um, in the second half, you know, when it was time for him to sort of start creating for others and to start finding his own shot, he did. And, you know, ends up with almost a triple-double in this game, 21-9-9. Uh, 6 of 15 shooting is not the best in the world, but... You know, other than that key miss down the stretch, like 9 of 11 from the free throw line is also really good from him at a, you know, a place where he struggled some this year. And then two steals and four blocks. I mean, it's just fantastic. I, I thought that he did a good job, particularly in the second half, particularly in that third quarter run of just being an absolute clamp down defender. Uh, and whoever he was matched up against, he was he was bothering them. He was getting blocks. He was, you know, creating steals creating opportunities for the team to like get out there and, and go score some more points. And uh, I thought he had a really great game. You know, that I think that his, his play in this game was, was a very positive sign. Um, you know, despite a couple bad things compared to like RJ, for example, where I, I felt like this game was a little bit of a step back with, with Julius. I felt like this was a continuation of his good play recently and, and a really good, uh, step forward for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. And um, our guy, uh, Derek Reifer, um, on on one of his uh, probably 26 Twitter accounts, um, the Analynix accounts, which is one of my favorite, um, he pointed out that Randall over his last 10 games, and I think this is still held true at the end of the game, has uh, less points than he does field goal attempts, which is not not an ideal conversion rate. And he's and like we've seen it, right? He, he just he just has not been very efficient for a while. But this is all we were asking for out of him earlier in the season, right? Like like can he still make a positive impact even when he's not shooting the basketball well? Because that, that's all you can ask out of anyone. Like you can't like like hitting shots is an effort based. It's just it's does it go in? Does it not go in? And, and I thought he compensated in every possible way for that. And like especially like I really liked it like in the third quarter 
like when he knew he wasn't hitting, like he just started bullying Jaden McDaniels to the basket, right? Like he, like he had that play where he just like kind of powered it to the rim. He missed a layup, got a rebound, missed again, got another rebound, missed again, and finally was fouled. And, and he probably got away with an offensive foul and a travel on that play. But it was just the fact that he was he's playing with force and he was throwing his body around. And I was like, like, that's how you channel like all that anger and like aggression that led to him like telling like the crowd to shut up. Like, like that's where you want that energy going and and then he, he had like some really like skillful play down the stretch on top of it um like the step back jumper on jared vanderbilt and then a no look to rj barrett in the corner where that was like the play where rj just toasted delo and blew by him um and then had like probably his best shot of the game where he had like a hesitation into a step back slight fade away on the shoot uh slight slight fade away on the shot excuse me it was a personal like six nothing run between the two baskets and the assist they gave the knicks a 98 to 93 lead and from that point forward, like he wasn't really able to make much of an impact, but I thought it was it was a good rebound for him from a first half that was uh, I, I in agreement at least offensively like pretty lackluster. You, you you need the shot making to come around at some point, right? That's you pay someone one hundred fifteen million dollars because they're they're one of the better shot makers on planet Earth. Um, but all you can ask out of him is that he compensates in other areas when he's not there, and I think he did that tonight. So there's you, you can't criticize him. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he did a really good job. I think that's a fine note to end this podcast on because there's not too much else to talk about, at least nothing that will not make us start frothing at the mouth and maybe uh, uh, seize up or something. I don't know. Uh, so this has been Locked on Knicks. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back. We got some other episodes for this week. Obviously, uh, at least one more game recap for you guys. And we're thinking about getting into some like trade deadline uh, speculation type shows. So maybe with some fun guests, we'll see what we could do with that. But uh, till next time, thank you all for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon. Peace out, everybody.